Oh gosh, I've always wanted to go to this great city called Seattle. I want to see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I want to see the home of Starbucks. I want to see Bill Gates' house. I want to see the Space Needle. I want to see the Redskins play. Hey, you currency exchange tours. Dollar went out of Seattle a long time ago. Get some new yen or you can't buy anything. Ouch, I think that guy ripped me off. Oh well, I'm in Seattle now, Ann. What's this poor fellow doing on the ground? He's awfully pale. <laughs> I can't believe someone fell for it. Native Seattleites know better than to be good Samaritans when vampires are on the loose. Yum, yum. Oh, I don't feel so good. What are these signs supposed to mean? I tell you, you're stinking human. We orcs don't want your coming right out of here. Oh, yay! The Space Needle, I found it! It's just as beautiful as I had always thought. Oh, wait, huh? Shatter on his own, Gary. That's it. I'm not going to take any more abuse from these fiends. I'll just buy this unlicensed Uzi, these unlicensed grenades, this unlicensed military camouflage and body armor, this night vision, that rocket launcher, a flamethrower, my very own GPS system, and that squadron of tanks. Now I'm ready to take these guys down. Your weaponry is highly illegal and must be confiscated, along with paying a fine to the, law, to the Lone Star Law Enforcement Agency for threatening the peace of Seattle. But wait! I've been shot by orcs, bit by vampires, sniped by a mob hitman, burned by a mage, cursed by a foul spirit, and somehow became beholden to a dog, and I'm the one who's getting arrested? Citizen, none of the weapons you described are illegal in Seattle. While that GPS system is cutting into Microsoft's domination of the market, and none of us don't dare go against the will of RoboGates. Time to spend a night in the joint. Well, since I'm not going anywhere for a while, I might as well say, live from the internet, it's RPG Backtrack! Today we run from our own shadows as we discuss a classic console RPG. We also tackle a duo of DS games before Mike talks about an import game he never imported. All of this plus your comments, a contest question, and some grunge music on this all-new RPG Backtrack! Welcome to RPG Backtrack, episode number 17, where we discuss computer and console RPGs from way back when, right up to yesteryear. It's also the place where we can't pronounce any proper noun, encourage spoilers, and the host cannot remember the guest's names. My name is Phil Willis. My name is Mike Pinky. And our very special guest uh, today with us is Mr. Jonathan Self. How's it going, John? Hi. Pretty good. Yeah. Kind of tired. Kind of tired after that exhausting trip in Hawaii, by chance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was so painful. Was it? It was like forearm to a cheese grater. Mm, just just had you to found, sacrifice. You bruised, battered, Jonathan. I can yeah, just I know. feel the misery eating out of you from that. Experience. Sitting on the beach, eating a smoothie out of a carved-out pineapple with an umbrella. It's hard. You, you poor soul. I, am, I know. All of our hearts are reaching out to you. Oh, granted, I had to pay like $20 for the smoothie because it's Hawaii, but... Okay, ouch, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> $20? Yeah, kind of expensive. Well, since you've been here before, I've been here before. Hey, what's up with you, Mr. Mike? Get a working computer yet? <laughs> uh, nobody wants to hear the details of my intricate struggle with American Express's extended warranty, so let's just skip that. Let's just... we I can summarize it up in just a sentence or two. 
American Express's warranty where they do those big commercials saying, if you've broken this, we'll fix it. It's all overrated, people. Just don't buy into the hype, okay? There's a reason why it's included free with the program. Okay. Anywho. Mm. Um, and, yeah, fun times. And me, personally, I'm doing great. Yep, ton, tons of fun here in the Willis household. Uh, haven't been playing a whole lot of RPGs, but I have been playing a lot of board games, so talked a little bit about that in RPG cast. Been playing Dominion, Ticket to Ride. Both are great games, but both of them can actually have online counterparts that can be played, so been playing that with um, with uh, with some friends and whatnot. But we're not here to talk about board games. We are here to talk about RPGs from the past. So let's do that with our Blast from the Recent Past section. Two games, Blast from the Recent Past, uh, that came out two years ago at this time. That is Summonite Twin Age and Etrian Odyssey 2. So, Mr. Miki, I understand you have played some Summonite. You understand correctly. Uh, this one was different from all the other Summonites. The only other ones we actually got in English were straight-out action RPGs that play kind of like fighting games. This one plays uh, more like an RTS than anything else, but it's definitely an RPG. You control one character and you have another character. The list grows larger as the game goes on. that will help out and is AI controlled and likes to do stupid things. But the neat thing is, even if your ally character does something really, really stupid repeatedly and gets killed, if you can manage to wait long enough, your ally will revive automatically. Nice. And you, it's pretty stylus-driven in a good way. You tap things that you want to kill. You use circles and other stylus directions to fight the enemies or to use your spells and whatnot. I remember a, one boss battle in particular that was really annoying because he hit really, really hard for that point in the game, and I wasn't willing to go grind for a few hours to make it easy, more easy to survive. I guess that's why he was your sensei, because he can beat the crap out of you with no effort whatsoever. Um, the story was so memorable that I'm drawing a blank entirely on what it was about. <laughs> I remember that you have a choice of main character, which affects the story somewhat. I chose the girl whose name is apparently supposed to be Reira, but I went with Layla, because you can't say Layla in Japanese, and Reira... <laughs> Sounds like Layla if you say it fast enough, and I just want to think of Eric Clapton all the time. And uh, nice variety of environments when you when you go through the game. The music was pretty nice. I remember that being very entertaining. Uh, the graphics are not exactly technically stunning, but it was they did the job, and there was a pretty good variety of enemies. 
I'm yeah, that's about all I've got for now. And I I also I also played it. You know, I I also played it. I have it on my DS and whatnot. So I spent some some good hours with it in preparation for the show. Um, yeah, but like you said, very very stylish stylish and cutesy and very very anime ish. Story had something to do with spirits being upset, and they were trying to figure out the cause of it, and they were having to rescue some people who were um, who were kind of stuck. Because of the evil, evil spirits um, cornering them and stuff like that, the you know for the most yeah. part, what's that? It's an atlas. It's an atlas game, so it does have a quality localization at the very least. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I kind of like the the gameplay mechanics. You know, you're controlling. You're usually controlling one of the two main characters at a time. They have your skills the way you set them up on the side of the screen. So you're clicking on the skill, and then you're performing the necessary swipes with uh, with your with your doohickey, you know, while you're doing that um, with your stylus or whatnot. I, I found it a little a little bulky at times because if I want to switch between the two characters, I ran into a couple issues with that. If you need to use the 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 lady's healing spell real fast, um, switching back and forth could be a, a little troubling at times. Uh, you're supposed to just be able to click on her icon and uh, occasionally yeah. I run into some problems with that. So, I mean, the mechanics felt a little clunky to me. Um, the the battles... Not the, a lot of icons as the game went on. Oh, yeah. It has a finite size, so you'll have to be very precise with your commands. Yeah. Yeah, ma- manual dexterity is required. Um, um, I, I think one thing that I noticed was how uh, easy the game was like at the beginning I had a ton of items uh, I had lots of money um, I didn't actually spend any of my time in the store or going uh, or even uh, distributing my uh, points I guess you get when you level up your skill points or attribute points or whatever they're called because uh, I didn't really feel a need to I was breezing through every battle the big boss battles uh, didn't seem too hard at all um, and they go so fast, at least the ones I was playing, they were going so fast to where um, if I was on the losing end of the stick, chances are I would have died before I even know what hit me, uh, which I guess means probably I need to go and buy some new armor. But uh, I didn't really run into that, that problem. battle with the Sensei because it was the only one that I had any real trouble with. That was the only roadblock on a very, very easy path, I would say. Yeah, and from what I understand from some of the FAQs uh, I was reading and stuff, it seems like uh, that the Amer- when they brought it, the game over to America, um, they decided to uh, make it a bit easier. And so some of these changes were specifically for the American version. Um, are you, were you playing the American or the Japanese version? I was playing American. Mm-hmm. I'll get to the Summon Night games in Japanese sometime, but they're not at the top of my list. So, I mean... Um, so with all that, you know, with all that being said, um, I think it was cute. I think it was all right. I think if you're looking for a challenge, you know, you might be a little under under impressed. If you want a challenge, but if you, you want a challenge, game. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the other side of the fence, of course, we have Atrian um, Odyssey too. Now, um, now. You know, when I prepare for RPG Backcheck, I like to, I, I try to spend the time with the Blast from the recent past games, because I know Mike spends his time on, on the older games. 
Um, and I have to admit that Intriguing Odyssey, I didn't even bother, you know, getting into number two um, for Backtrack because I knew that spending five or six or ten hours with it would hardly be scratching the surface. I have spent a significant amount of time with Intriguing Odyssey 1, and I, I want to say 15, 20 hours, and I felt like that I haven't really uh, gotten too far. So, But I can't explain the essential mechanics because uh, every indication is that Intriguing Odyssey 2 while it brings some minor improvements to the table and a couple of uh, a, cl- a new class or two, it, it essentially shares many of the core components with Etrian Odyssey 1. So in case you haven't experienced these games, Etrian Odyssey games are, are dungeon-crawling games. You, you create a party of five characters, and you get to pick what class and what name they have. They all have these cute little anime drawings to go along with them. They're, they're rather cute. The... Um, then then you go and you buy your weapons and your armor and you find out very quickly that you don't have a whole lot of money. There's not really a whole lot you can buy and even healing herbs will be a stretch for your for your limited finances. So you so you'll want to go and head off into the dungeon and start earning some money and killing some monsters where you will quickly find out that if you're not careful you will be killed many many times. The 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 enemies are powerful especially when your group is low level and is weak and trembling. And if you run into one of the wandering bosses called foes, they will quickly wipe the floor with you if you are not prepared. And getting your levels up takes time. It it brings back the grinding mechanic that we love so much in some of our RPGs. One of the things that really set a tree in Odyssey out from from others of the ilk is the fact that you can draw your own map on the DS using the stylus and that is one part of the game I really did enjoy as I'm crawling through the dungeon I'm using the bottom screen in my stylus to draw the map there's a it's a little it's a little map program and it works rather well it's not like you're just drawing freehand as you draw you're connecting there's little dots uh, that kind of guide your hand but as you draw a line it draws one line and since movement in a tree and odyssey is done old school style to where you know you move forward in these in these block movements when you turn it's an exact 90 degree turn type of deal um, it's very easy to map out. I mean, this this would be this these maps in a tree and Odyssey would fit fine on a piece of twenty by uh, twenty grid grid paper. So you, they even have little pre-made symbols for stairs up, stairs down, traps, and and that sort of thing. So you can mark appropriately where you need to. So that that is definitely one of the really really neat mechanics in the game. But uh, overall. Um, you know the, the 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 challenge the the challenge level in the game is what kind of made me put it on the shelf, <laughs> so I can move on to other things when I did. It is definitely a tough game. It's not for the faint of heart, and you're probably going to want to spend some time reading FAQs <laughs> before you really dive into it because it doesn't do a great job of explaining what the different classes do and what the different skills are. As you level up, you get skill points to pour into various skills, and some skills have prerequisites, and that is something neat. That's something that appeals to me. The problem is is that it doesn't do a really great job of, it does give you a description, but it doesn't tell you enough detail for you to be able to make an intelligent decision on whether or not 
those skills will really be very useful in, in battle. You may put too many points in fire just to find out that your mage needs to be more balanced later on in the end game or, or whatnot, so for example. Or that you're putting points into paladins, healing spells or whatever just totally was a waste in the end game. So uh, because he doesn't heal enough in the end game to be useful, you wish you would have rather put those points in defense. So there's definitely some room for improvement, and just like the wizardry type games uh, and Dark Spire, which is another DS dungeon crawler, uh, you're going to want to play this one with a strategy guide or a fac in hand or something along those lines. So if you're looking for an old school experience, though, it is really well done that the map the map system is really, really interesting as long as you understand what you're getting into and you like the old school dungeon-style crawling thingy, you'll have a good time with it. And in Tree and Odyssey 2, just improves on 1. I believe if you complete 1, you somehow, and I can't remember how, but I believe there's something you can do, it's a password or something, that you can carry over to get some extra items or something like that in the second one. I just, I don't remember off the top of my head. I might have to wiki that. But anywho... I remember... Seven Circles review at the time, and him saying that Etrianity Two is even harder than the first one. Well, that, that all I know. Yeah, maybe you want to start with the first one first. Um, so. What about you, Jonathan? Know anything about Etrianity? No, I have the first game, and uh, I put a little bit of time into it. Not enough to know anything about it. I mean, it's like playing five hours in a Persona game. You know, it's just not even scratching the surface. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think I got down to the second level of, of the dungeon. Which, you know, takes a couple hours, but it's it's nothing to write home about, you know. Uh, and I own two, but I have never played two, because I never finished the first one, so... Oh, 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 I actually do know this. I downloaded the soundtrack for it, and because I like Yuzo Koshiro's music, and it's quite good. That guy knows how to compose some music. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed the, the, the music, yeah. Yeah, it is pretty good. Well, I mean, in Tree 1, I don't know if that's the same composer or not, but I did, like, yeah, the, the music wasn't... The same composer, I checked. Yeah, I even and, listened to music, too. The, the thing is, you listen to it for so long, so it, it didn't irritate me, so considering how long it was playing, that should be taken as a compliment. So, any, at any rate, um, I guess that's all we have. If you guys don't have anything else for Summon I and Tree and Aussie, then we'll get to the meat and potatoes of our discussion for today. Woohoo! In our main attraction. We'll be back in one moment. Talking about a little no game called Shadowrun. Uh, and Shadowrun was, Shadowrun, I, I believe, started off as a paper, pen and paper RPG back in the day. Now, I liked pen and paper RPGs 
back in the day, um, and I played a number of them, and it seemed like Shadowrun was literally always in the shadow of the bigger boys, such as the Battletech universe or the Warhammer or the D&Ds of the world. So I never really got into into it very much. Then I saw that they had a game for the, the Super Nintendo. At the time, I was playing uh, Final Fantasy. I was even playing some Eye of the Beholder or whatever have you. So I made a run away from Shadowrun, and and never got back to it. So I was interested to see that pop up on our list of, of games to discuss. And um, so with with that kind of little bit of an introduction, why don't you guys kind of take it away? And do any of you can any of you give me some backstory on what is the Shadowrun universe? Sure. Um, Shadowrun universe is a um, cyberpunk universe. Uh, in fact. It might be one of the first instances of it outside of a William Gibson novel. I'm not sure. You guys might have to to confirm me on that. But it goes back to Jordan Weissman in the 80s, I believe. Jordan Weissman is also the um, creator of of, of Battletech. You know, we know his Mech Warrior now. He also did Crimson Skies. Uh, But it's it's kind of like if you were to take a fantasy setting and put it in the future and make it a dystopia. That's basically what Shadowrun is. So it's you. Have, it's a future, but there's magic and there's high technology at the same time. But there's also you know, elves and trolls and dwarves or things like that. Yeah. So you'll have like you'll have, you'll have a dwarf with a cybernetic arm or something. Yeah. Or you'll find uh, hellhounds running around in the urban or vampires. Yeah. yeah. Those stupid vampires like to just hang around, and make like they're Normal guys have collapsed on the pavement and will give you a little money if you go and help, but if you try and help the vampire, then he'll get up and you have to kill it fast or else, well, what do vampires usually do to people? So Shadowrun was nice enough to be set in 2050 instead of some near future date like 2005. <laughs> then we could easily make fun of its setting, but it's still 90, 40 years in the future, so we don't... We don't know what Seattle is really going to look like in 2050. It might turn out this way. When the earthquake knocks California off the off the continent. Right, and after the after global warming has turned Florida into a big lake. That's true. So, so these so this RPG, as we all know, came out eventually, uh, or they made a, a, an RPG, I should say. Uh, based on the Shadowrun universe uh, for the Super Nintendo and the Sega, which is what we're here to discuss today. Um, the Super Nintendo uh, version was published by Data East and released uh, in Japan on March 25th, 1994, and uh, actually came out here in North America first. That's a change. November 1st, 1993. Um, the Genesis uh, version, according to uh, to my notes from the ever so accurate Wikipedia uh, was uh, sometime in 1994. So they came out roughly roughly at the same time now. Um, I had a Super Nintendo, did not have a Genesis, and uh, aside from the fact that the that the universe was kind of unknown to me since I really never paid attention to it, I do recall reading uh, a, a, a couple of reviews or talking to some friends or something. I remember I remember turning down the Super Nintendo version because of of, of poor reviews. So, um, but that's all I know. I don't remember why it was poor. It was so long ago. I I, I don't even recall. So um, why don't Another we? Thing about the thing, this is so far in the future, and we remember in the eighties that everybody thought Japan was going to come to dominate the world through its incredible money making skills. 
So Shadowrun uses the new yen as its currency. You don't use dollars in Seattle anymore. You have new yen. And that's just to show you how big Japan once was and how the mighty have fallen because nobody's talking about Japan taking over the world anymore. Mm, but as for the Super Nintendo version, I just recently played this, so it's pretty fresh in my mind. One thing that stands out, this game really would have benefited from a mouse. You, yeah, you bring up a cursor to search for things. Well, it's very hold, hold, hold up on that thought for a second, Mike. Let's let's first lay out the found foundation. Let's talk about the Super Nintendo, uh, since that's generally, from what I understand, tends not to be the most favorite. Um, first of all, explain exactly what kind of RPG are we talking about here. I guess it would fall under action RPG, because combat takes place in real time. Usually you're out wandering the streets of Seattle, and somebody starts shooting at you. There'll be some hitmen who suddenly pop up from a window, and you need to hit A to bring up your targeting cursor, and then you target your crosshair on the enemy that's shooting at you, and you just keep hitting A until it finally dies. (laughs) Um, Well, that sounds like fun. Oh, it gets even better when there are multiple enemies shooting at you. Mm. Um, yes, guys in windows, and there are a lot of them in this shadow run, don't give you any money. But guys on the ground do. And here's the fun part. This is just so great. I, I'm giddy thinking about how awesome it is picking up money in this shadow run. Because you need to bring up your cursor and pick it up manually. But... You can't do that if you're far away. It'll tell you, too far away. So you have to move your guy close to the guy you killed and hunt around on his corpse for the little little slightly discolored Nguyen and pick it up. And this can be even more fun if the guy you killed fell under something because it has an isometric viewpoint, so you can sometimes have a hard time making out where things are. So then you just fumbling with the cursor trying to find dang it I know there's money around here somewhere but I can't see it and I can't find it and oh man I killed that guy for nothing no so that's what picking up money is like in this one unless you go into the arena or something but you can't do that all the time sometimes you just gotta go kill hundreds of guys until they drop enough money for you to buy a good gun Hmm. that's another thing about the Super Nintendo Shadowrun you use gun no sissy swords or anything like that you pick up an Uzi you pick up uh, assault pistol, an assault rifle. Like I've got the game right here. Let's see. Let us see what weapons it lists. Well, that that I mean, while you're looking that up, that just that just sounds rather rough because, um, um, holy cow! I mean, I mean, you're talking about uh, the Super Nintendo controller. Memory serves properly. That wasn't exactly an analog controller. <laughs> Are correct, which makes picking up the money really fun. Even more oh, fun. I entered the Bizarro Universe for a second there. It's not really fun. It sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry if I was if I confused anyone with my brief turn of phrase. What else? Oh, yes. The story of this one is apparently its drawing point. It is well written, which you would expect since it came out in English first and was made by English-speaking developers. You wake up in a morgue with no memory of what of how you got there, which is understandable. If you woke up in a morgue, your memory would probably be pretty full of holes, too. And your goal is to find out, okay, who tried to kill me and why? It's a workable plot. And especially for the Super Nintendo, when Nintendo clamped down on anything that had to do with violence or sexuality in any sense at all, 
to have your character wake up in a morgue in the first scene is pretty radical. Hmm. I don't know how Nintendo let that slip through. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about how you deal with uh, fellow Shadowrunners who you hire on in the Genesis one in a little bit. But in the Super Nintendo one, they're kind of annoying, frankly, because they come at a at a fixed level and strength, which you cannot alter it in any way. And you also cannot directly control them for long. You can give them brief orders like use magic or go over there or target that, but you're targeting, you're controlling your main guy all the time and you can never control these guys and that means sometimes they'll just drop dead, which is fine because they don't take it out on your, with your paycheck the next time out. Hmm. But it still sucks to hire a guy and then because he was stupid, lose him promptly after you get spent all that money to pick him up for a while. Well, so have you have you had a have you had any experience with the Super Nintendo version, Jonathan? I didn't even know it existed until a couple years ago. <laughs> it's probably better that way. Um <laughs> I, I'm familiar with it and I've read articles on it, but I mean, you know, both of the games kind of they aren't the cheapest of retro games. I wouldn't say they're expensive by any means, but I mean, if you want a boxed copy of either one of them, you're going to have to spend a small amount of money, you know. Like, uh, Mike, how much did you have to pay to get the uh, the Genesis one? Like, 40 bucks or something like that? I, I don't know, but that seems what they usually well, do. It's for. gone down a lot, I think. It has? 40 bucks or so. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad, yeah. I'm sure the Super, Super Nintendo, Nintendo one goes... The Super Nintendo one was more yeah, they usually go more because of the, the cardboard boxes, you know, a little bit more... Uh, a little bit... Hard, hard, hard to come by in good condition. Yeah, obviously, if you want it, you know, in original condition or something, I think the Genesis version especially, you'd, you'd have to pay off the wazoo. If you're looking for just, like, the cartridge only, just to ex- experience these classics, the Super Nintendo version is going about 20 to anywhere from 20 to $40, and that's, uh, there's there's one, I see one selling for uh, 45 $45, which does include, uh, according to this, the box and the instructions. Um, and I see a Genesis version with the box and the instructions in, in, in used condition. It doesn't look too bad. Uh, the instructions almost look like a photocopy. I don't know if that's how they originally came looking. Yeah, um, they were black and white. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. one's going... Actually, I see one eBay auction for 30 bucks. So that's mm. not too bad if you want to grab that one there. Mike, I still look- rem- Oh, go ahead. Still, remar- still remarkably expensive, though, for a... I mean, you yeah, know. yeah, you're right. No, no, you're absolutely yeah. right for... Uh, Short of, like, you know, Fantasy Star or something, there's not... I guess there's not a lot of things that go... Well, I guess even Fantasy Star isn't that expensive. Very few things really yeah, do. Fantasy Star 4 can be. The other is yeah. not so much. Well, I haven't checked the, the original one on Master System very often. While I'm thinking about it, the plot on Super Nintendo has a couple of aspects I should mention. The first is that very early on, your guy gets beholden to dog. Your dog is your spirit, and dog will give you guidance as you go through the game, and eventually will give you magic, which I found interesting, because eventually dog wants you to go kill rat, and unless you have a fat candy, you're probably going to be wondering, okay, how do I do that? And it turns out that there's a guy called the rat shaman in a sewer somewhere that you've got to go kill. And also, the plot doesn't get resolved all that well at the end. I kept wondering, all right, so somebody stuck this super high-tech 
program into your sideboard that's jacked into your head. Why would why were you killed in that case? Why were you thrown into the morgue if this incredibly valuable program that somebody presumably wanted very badly was in your head? Why was nobody going jacking into your head to try and get it? Yeah, I have more issues with the plot, but I'm trying very hard to remember them, and maybe I'll get them later. So I guess for now we can just move on to the Genesis one. What's your your overall opinion of the Super Nintendo in in terms of obviously gameplay you we mentioned it's it's kind of challenge <laughs> it would have been much better if the game had a mouse and i mean even analog so in an action rpg i can't even i can't even fathom it, it reminds me of the if y'all can re, if y'all ever played these the old x-men games on the um, Nintendo did y'all ever play that one? I uh, did not. I played the ones on the Genesis. Uh, I Maybe. think I, I think remember. the the X Men one on the Nintendo was like my first experience with something that might be considered an action RPG. There wasn't many RPG elements, but you're kind of running around like you are in an action RPG and kind of fighting things and blowing things up. But the controls were 90 degree angles because you know it's it's a Nintendo. <laughs> it was it was. Challenging to say. I mean, the game was bad all overall, period. But I just remember, gosh, these controls suck so much. Even as a kid, I'm thinking, gosh, these controls suck so much. So, boy, I, I can't even imagine. What you and your overall impression of, yeah, let's say, the story I would element also of it? Say that one thing about combat that's really annoying: if you're targeting something and shooting at it, you can't move without breaking that target. So, if you move to try and get into a better position, so you aren't quite in the line of fire, then you have to retarget your enemy once you have moved. That kind of sucks. Um, let's see. Uh, I just had one. Okay, what was it? Oh, yeah. The matrix in this one is actually kind of useful. You can max out your stats for computer jacking very easily, and then by going into the matrix, which looks like a little board game in this one, um... You are a dot on a tiled screen, and you move from tile to tile, and you will be informed if there are security programs in, nearby. And you have to keep attacking in order to not run into a security program and be thrown back, because if you die in a matrix, then you die in real life. But if you go through these things pretty successfully, you can net enormous amounts of cash that would take you hours to get, probably eight, nine hours at least, counting all the money you can get through the Matrix. And that'll make the end game really easy because you have suddenly obtained more cash than you previously had in the entire rest of the game. And one thing I have to knock very, very hard, you get to you save in this game by sleeping in a bed. There are exactly three beds in this game. Nice. I know. And if you die, it's game over. That's even better. Ooh, hardcore mode. I know. I should also mention that in the Super Nintendo one, you travel between the regions of Seattle with the monorail, and it's free. So obviously, Seattle's government in 2050 is doing something right if you can take the monorail free of charge. <laughs> there's, a, there's a neat moment when you have to go through a crypt, which is kind of a Quite frankly, it's pretty difficult because there are ghouls that keep shooting out of the ground and they won't leave you alone, so you have to run past them. But at the end of it, there's a vampire. And if you prep the stake along, which you better have, you better have that stake, and you apply it to the vampire, he will start shrieking at you, No, no, don't have the stake in anymore, I'll tell you anything you want. And he gives you a name. 
you pound the stake in again. Ah, I'm sorry, I lied. That wasn't the right name. Here's the real name. Now please leave me alone. <laughs> and then you pound it in again to kill the vampire, and he gives and he yields a whole pile of money and some pretty good experience. Or you can leave him alone if you don't want that. That's your choice. Yeah, I should mention also that you gain karma by killing things in this game. I don't think that was part of any Buddhist philosophy I've ever been familiar with, but yes, killing things gets you karma. And that karma is what you use to upgrade your stats. It's not automatic. You have to go in there and figure out, all right, do I want to upgrade my body so that I have my more hit points, or do I upgrade my firearm skills so that I will actually hit more often, or do I upgrade my magic once I get magic so that I have more magic points? That, that part is pretty cool. I like... Yeah. Having full it, control of karmic destination. It might even tie down to tie into something of the 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 pen and paper RPG. I'm not sure. I've never played the pen and paper RPG, so I'm just familiar from the video games and uh, I played the card game actually. So I know some of the lore, but I'm not sure how how like the mechanics of the actual original game worked. That might be a lingering. That might be a lingering aspect from that. But. It has good points, and that could certainly make it worth playing, but the stuff I've mentioned, which is irritating, really does make it a chore at times. Oh, I remember one incident that ticked me off. You have to go through, you go down to the docks, take a boat off to some deserted tanker up in the Bay of Seattle. You go through the tanker, then near the end of the tanker, you go through into some alternate dimension and at the end of it, there's um, Jester, I think is his name, some foul spirit that you have to take down. And once you take him down, and there's an um, there's another portal that appears, but if you don't take that portal, if you go back all the way you came, then the game doesn't think that you actually did this event, so that the new weapons and new cyberware that people are supposed to be carrying won't appear. And I did that, so that I kept wondering... Where's my new weapon? I want the new gun. And it never appeared until I went back through the whole stupid thing and through the portal at the end. And I would call that a slight bug because I had killed the boss, but if I didn't go through that little portal at the end, it didn't think the game didn't register. Wow. It so. sounds like uh, it sounds like the Super Nintendo version probably isn't worth the uh, 30 or 40 dollar asking price. Now, so, some people really like it. I've heard in another retro game podcast that people actually preferred that version. They didn't like the, uh, I mean, because the Genesis version is very much, I mean, uh, would you say it's fair to say it's kind of like a RPG, a gauntlet sort of game? I mean, it's top down, you fire in all directions, it's in real time, you, know, you don't have a cursor, you just point and shoot. Uh, a lot of people didn't like that. They kind of liked the uh, point and click Adventurish elements of the uh, Super Nintendo game, and while I can't comment on it, I can see played it, elements that would be more pleasing to certain people from the Super Nintendo one. But I'm not one of them. I was not more pleased by the Super Nintendo one, but than by the Genesis one. Yeah, I think I'd probably fall in the same the uh, same uh, area there. Though I have never played it, so I can't say for sure. <laughs> Let's talk about what you have played, Jonathan. Let's talk about the Genesis version. All right. Um, the Genesis version I had first played, I had not heard of Shadowrun before I played the game, and I had rented it way back in the day. Um, I had no idea what it's like. That had a cool box cover, because, you know, when you're 12, that's why you rent games, because they have cool box covers. Usually they end up being horrible. This game didn't end up being horrible. Um, 
and I, I, I just remember playing it over and over again. It's quite hard, as a, uh, as uh, you might attest to, but uh, uh, yeah, I can attest to that. Yeah, though something that I didn't realize until actually a couple years ago when I had revisited it, that uh, I had never tried. Okay, in the world of Shadowrun. Well, let me explain how it works a little bit. In the Super Nintendo version, you just have a character. You play as a character. And the, uh, yeah, so and by just... the end, he can pretty much do everything. He can fight, yeah. he can jack in the Matrix, and he can use all the magic spells in the game. Wow. In the uh, Sega Genesis version, you choose from one to three characters. You choose a uh, a samurai, which is like a street samurai. Street samurai in, in Shadowrun is exactly what it sounds like. You're a guy who walks around the streets who uses, like, katanas, you know. Um... You can be oh, a. Uh, I would definitely recommend using guns instead since they have yeah. range. Yeah. Or you can be a. Uh, oh, is it called? Are they called riggers? Is that the right term? Deckers, isn't it? Deckers, that's it. Um, deckers are. Um, okay, and you have to think in a, in a futuristic sense. It can take a second to explain it, but uh, the uh, the matrix in Shadowrun is kind of like. Shadow Runners. I don't even think we've explained this, but what a Shadow Runner is, if anybody's not familiar with the um, the lore, it's a Shadow Runner is kind of like a mercenary who does who does whatever work you need them to do. You need someone killed. You need something stolen. You need a bodyguard. You hire a Shadow Runner. They do Shadow Runs. Um, the Deckers are people who um, are, are real tech savvy and they hack into things. They steal information because it's you know the far far future. Everything's accessible by a computer. So uh, deckers are the people who hack into the matrix and steal information that way. And you can play as a one of the, your option is a decker. Uh, your third option is a gator shaman. And uh, if it's a gator shaman or not, it really matters not. Shamans in Shadowrun are the magic users in Shadowrun. They're not really magicians, really. They're they're like shaman. They always are portrayed kind of in a tribal aspect. And if you want to use magic in the game, you have to play as one of them. Uh, when I played it, I always played as a as a shaman. So something I never knew about for a long period of time was that the Matrix even existed, because uh, the shaman really can't use that. You have to more or less be a decker or a uh, samurai to do that. One I thing can't. about one thing Go about ahead. the Genesis version is that in order to use magic, you have to have a an untainted body or something like that, mm-hmm. and you can buy cyberware that gets installed in, into you. Making you more cybernetic, but if you buy yeah. that as a shaman, then it reduces reduce your, your magical. Yeah, and that's the way it is in the Shadowrun game too, is from what I understand. You know, so you have to kind of be you. It's it's to reduce the tank mage factor. You know, you can't be a a T one thousand and you know and and shoot lightning bolts. That just wouldn't be right. So no. Um, so I got a question. I mention, while I remember it. Unlike the Super Nintendo one, you have to buy ammunition clips in this one. Mm. Else you'll eventually run out of ammo for your gun and be reduced to punching things. Which is why I like the Shaman. You had to buy your spells, but, you know, if memory serves, I don't think you ever ran out of of energy of using spells. If you did, it was easier to get get more of it than it was ammo. Ammo got kind of difficult to come by. People are always getting uh, angry at me, and I'd always die, and... Well, I just bought as much ammo as I could hold from mm. street vendors. What got annoying is if I had other people on my team because you have to buy them ammo too, and that took a while. Was it like buying potions in Final Fantasy One where you had to keep clicking on it one at a time? Not really, because the ammo doesn't take up your 
pretty limited inventory slots. I think you can get 20 clips at a time, and depending upon the gun you have, that should last you for a while. Of course, if you have something like a shotgun that only has three rounds per uh, clip, then you're going to run out. So don't get a shotgun unless you really, really, really like shotguns. And, oh, yes, the illegal weapons in this game and how the police of Seattle don't like you if you have illegal weapons. Did you experience this, Jonathan? Oh, no, because I was always using magic, so, yeah. I don't think there's any illegal magic. At least I never came across any. Probably not. I didn't have any legal weapons either because I was occasionally glancing at a fact to make sure that I wasn't going to get hassled by the cops I was. Because if you have an illegal weapon and the Lone Star officers find you, well, you can either go lose the weapon and pay a big fine or you can try to shoot it out with them. And they're not weak. Yeah, but shooting it out with them is probably so much more fun. I mean, it's, probably, a, it's, a, but... it's a dystopia. You can kill the cops. No one cares. Oh, well, the early enough in the game that I wasn't strong enough to guarantee you win against the cops. Oh, but I should mention, this game is very generous with losing. If you lose, then you lose um, 10% of your money and wake up in the nearest morgue, I believe. Yeah, you can just keep on dying over and over and you hardly even notice it. Yeah. No game over in this game. Yeah, no game over. You just start over again. Which, in the grand scheme of things, if you were were to complete the game from beginning to end, it makes it a lot shorter if you knew what to do. I mean, I can't. I can't imagine it would be very long to beat if you never died, because the right. maps themselves. There's not the game like from. Well, like the game is okay. You wander around from a top-down perspective, kind of like Gauntlet. You can go into buildings, bars, talk to people, but if you were to add up the culmination of all the maps, it really isn't that much landscape. You know, there's a couple little town areas, a couple little outskirts. You know, but you just end up dying. Well, so I would say. Things. Easily half of the real estate in the game or more comes when you go outside of Seattle to the Indian Reservation. Yeah. That's like huge. But if you just if you stay inside a town, then yeah, it's pretty limited. Although you can eventually go on shadow runs into various corporations hacking their files and whatnot. And that's quite a bit of extra real estate. I don't Some even of know those if buildings have five, six floors, I think. I don't even know if oh, I ever made it. I don't even know if I ever made it to uh the Indian grounds. I think I died all the time. Last time I had the game, well, I, was yeah, trying I, mean, to, I was trying to save up for more spells because you have to buy spells like equipment, you know. I'm not sure if you ever experimented around with that or not. Well, yeah, once you get outside of town, you start finding hellhounds, and there's some of the nastiest enemies in the game. They'll rip you apart in a second. That's that's your lesson of the day, everybody. Hellhounds are bad news. Don't mm-hmm. approach them. Feed They're them. from hell. They oftentimes have more than one head. Exactly. Wendigos aren't good news either, but they're weaker than hellhounds. Although I find that funny. I never knew that Seattle was a congregation ground for Wendigos. Must be all the Starbucks. Yeah, maybe it's the proximity to Canada, do you think? Yeah, it's possible. You know, Nintendo's there. Microsoft's there. Who knows what's going to happen in 50 years, you know, or 40 years at this point. It's going to break down. There's going to be androids and robots fighting each other. It's going to be hell. Yeah, and there's too much coffee in the in the water already from Starbucks. This is true. Mm. That's what's going to cause all the magic. Well, I'm thinking about And why don't you talk about the random things that happen? And oh, like the events. Yeah. Like yeah, you you'll be wandering around. You know, a game's kind of like a. It is kind of like a free roaming, sandbox type game. I mean, it's it has missions, but you can more or less wander around and do what you want. You know, 
You can go a while and not find what you're supposed to be doing. But uh, random things will happen to you. Like, you know, you'll see some guy who's getting attacked. You can ignore them and let the other people kill him or, you know, try to help him or just little things like that. And occasionally you get rewarded for it. And sometimes it's just a pain in the butt to actually help the person. I can't recall, though. Do they ever lead to anything more important than that, or are they just little hiccups? I just remember them being little hiccups that you can do. I think they're pretty much all little hiccups, although eventually you have to do a quest for an Indian shaman that depends upon you finding some hellhounds, and then you're just waiting for the random event that says, a, a pack of hellhounds is approaching you. Or you can hang around in the gigantic wasteland outside of Seattle and hope that hellhounds kill you, get to you and you don't die fighting them. Out of curiosity, how long did it take you to get through the first building, through the first shadow run, without dying? Just curious. <laughs> you remember? You mean the first um, abandoned warehouse that's full of ghouls, or I'm not quite yeah. sure what you're asking. Oh, yeah, the that, first one. Uh, yeah. I died several uh, it was times. At least, it was at least an hour. I don't remember offhand. I think I yeah. actually hired somebody now with that. Because you get missions in this game that we're calling you to go kill a bunch of enemies in some abandoned warehouse or whatnot. And at the very least, these missions are nice because even if you die, if you killed something in the interim, you will still have completed the mission and can get the money and um, the karmic reward. Mm. But yeah, when you're early on in the game, you're pretty weak, and the enemies in these places will take you down very easily. In some ways, I mean, I don't know. It's almost like so, yeah, having, having the game automatically target things is nice instead of having to move the cursor around and then if the enemy likes to jump all over the screen you have to keep retargeting the cursor because your stupid auto aim won't track it. That's well, did a nice you ever, change of things. Did you ever use magic? Some of the magic like would only fire in diagonals. Weird things like that. I didn't use magic, but I hired some people who did, and I switched control to them. That's another thing. You can switch control to anybody you've got on your team at any time and fully control them. Final thoughts. Shadow run. Give me a 60-second rundown. Get it rundown. <laughs> if you were talking to just an average RP gamer off the street and they said, Hey, can you tell me about Shadow Run? What's it about, and should I get it? Do it in 60 seconds or less. Go, Mike. I would say for the Genesis one, if you like... This type of game, where you don't have much guidance and you can just go around and find your own way, then, yeah, it's worth it at the very least trying, because it does some interesting things. You'll see some interesting real estate. You can hire a magic user in the Space Needle, and at the very least, you can tell people, yeah, I played it, and gosh, that was interesting. The Super Nintendo one, um, I can't give that really a recommendation unless you have heard everything that we've said and gone, that sounds so awesome! So if that's your reaction to what I've said about the Super Nintendo one, go ahead. Otherwise, stay away. And Mr. Jonathan, go! Uh, I would say definitely worth getting it. Um, Shadowrun's a game that there's not... I wouldn't say there's a lot of other RPGs about it. It's, it's kind of free-roaming. It's kind of like Gauntlet. Uh, there is a story to it, but you have to kind of find your own way. Maybe it's kind of like a like a con- strange, futuristic version of Fallout. 
I can see some strange parallels that I don't, I can't see why. But uh, I can't speak on behalf of the Super Nintendo one because I never played the Super Nintendo one. But I would say that anybody should try the Sega Genesis one because it's pretty. It's a pretty unique game. I mean, there's not a lot like it, and there's not much in a video game world like that. Um, cyberpunk isn't a genre that's done very often in video games or a setting, I should say. So yeah, I just think I definitely think anybody should try it. Fair enough. Sounds like a. And I think that's the one thing, that, listening to y'all talk about this, I think that's the one quality that kind of sticks out in my hand, especially for historical purposes. When we take a look at Shadowrun and we say, you know, what was you know, what was its mark on history or whatnot, it does sound like that it brought a, a, a higher level of open-endedness than other RPGs before it. Would y'all agree with that assessment? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not sure. I'm not, well, at least for console games, sure. Uh... You have to realize, I mean, it was released so early that it's not as if there was, you know, a lot... I mean, you know, there's Ultimas and things like that, but it's uh, something uniquely created for a uh, a console game. I can't... I mean, I'm, I'm no super expert, but I can't think of many other games that were as, as open as Shadowrun was, so... Yeah, the Genesis Shadowrun, it does have a plot, you are trying to find who killed your brother, but if you put all of that plot together, it would probably take um, I'll be generous to say an hour to complete, because the lion's share of this game is not the main plot, but you wandering around, getting into Shadowruns, exploring Seattle, and yeah, it's a sandbox field. Awesome, awesome. So, that's Shadowrun. I don't think this is part. I think that the only way you could play it is on the the uh, is on the Genesis or Super Nintendo. Um, we would never advocate emulation, of course. Um, but I don't think that's part of any collections. When I think about all the different various Genesis collections uh, that have come out, in fact, I was it looking hasn't. at yeah, I was looking at Sonic's Mega Genesis collection or whatnot that's on the PS3. Oh no, yeah. Because who even the- knows? Who even knows who owns the rights to that game? I mean, you know. FASA went out of business, and you know, and then Microsoft owns the rights to it now. But then, who owned the rights to that game? I mean, it's probably there's probably some really hairy legal issues from that ever being ported over to anything. Well, yeah, Data East. Whatever happened to Data East? It's long gone. So there's the Super Nintendo one, and um, Blue Sky developed the Genesis one, and that one's been dead a long time, also. There go our developers. I think Data East is currently owned by um, uh, Victor Island, I I believe. Uh, And we have no idea what will happen because he has expressed no interest in developing and dealing with any American properties that I know of. Oh, yeah. But but still, somebody owns the Shadowrun property, and they still have to get permission through that. Actually, this is a complete tangent, but uh, uh, Jordan Weissman, as I stated earlier in the podcast, was... One of the creators of Shadowrun, he uh, made a company called Smith and Tinker, and uh, Microsoft owned the rights to Crimson Skies, which is another pen and paper RPG. It was, it was like a aeronautical uh, pen and paper RPG, uh, BattleTech, and Shadowrun. He started his own company, Smith and Tinker. He left uh, Wizkid Games, which was um, a miniature game maker that made Mage Knight. I'm not sure if it a, was a really popular game. And uh, he started his own video game company, and he bought the rights back to Shadowrun, Battletech, and Crimson Skies. 
So there's a possibility that he's working on something right now. Because he technically owns the video game rights to make a new game. So, who knows if we're lucky. How responsible was he for the Xbox one? Oh, not at all. Yeah, not at all. He wasn't at fault for that at all. I think he was still at WizKid Games during that period of time. Awesome, awesome. So, next topic, my import corner. is a little different. Jonathan can probably join me in, in explaining some of the reasons why I am not the owner of, nor will I be the owner of anytime soon, the third Shadowrun game from the 16-bit era, yep. which was on the Mega CD. And if you, look, if you look for this game, you'll find that it does not go under $100, that it will stay above that, plus it's on the Mega CD. It, this is this one, unlike the other two, was developed in Japan and stayed in Japan. And so in and order I'd, to play it, hmm? and it's further compounded by the fact that it's basically an adventure game, a text adventure game. It's kind of like Snatcher. Yeah, this one. This one is very plot driven, from what I understand, making an import even less likely when the plot is the driving force. And there are battles that, from what I understand, are kind of like. Shining Force battles, except there's a finite number of them, so if you screw up your development, you can't do it again. You're stuck with the experience that you've got. And yeah, I have I have import enabled pretty much everything I own, except the Sega CD. I don't feel like sticking a mod chip on that system, <laughs> and there is no disc that will magically make it play imports. Nobody ever and- thought to do that for the Sega CD. And importing a uh, a Mega CD from Japan would probably be somewhat expensive, yes. to say the least. Not to mention getting this game would be somewhat expensive. Yeah, that this would almost be like last... that would almost be like but... be like buying Dungeon Explorer Two and a and a PC Engine Duo. Dungeon Explorer Two. Just just to play it. I mean, who would ever do that? That's crazy. Yeah, nobody we know. Nobody. So, I had a thought and then I lost it because of the Dungeon Explorer tangent. Now you got me thinking about Dungeon Explorer. Thanks for watching. Mission accomplished. Oh, yes. This was also one of the very last games released on the Mega CD. It came out um, at least, it came out in early 96, so the Saturn had been out in Japan for over a year already, making it not only in Japan only, but quite rare, because it had a very small print run, from what I gather. So, yeah, I'm a pretty dedicated import gamer, but not quite to this degree, I'm afraid. So that is why the third Shadowrun of the 16-bit era I have not played, nor am I likely to have. Maybe someday. It could happen. 
because, you know, there, there are fan translation projects throwing at the mouth to do this one. Everybody Probably. knows mega CD games get all the attention. Nobody cares about the Super Nintendo stuff that got left in Japan. Of course, never. It's such a gigantic audience, the mega Sega CD lovers. They're all yeah, over I mean, the place. Yeah, I mean, I know back in the day I was importing dozens of mega CD games. You know, they were just well, so... yeah, that was back before Sega clamped down on anything so that you could just go and talk to your favorite friend in Japan and say, hey, can you give me this game? And he'd go, yeah, for just ten bucks I can ship it to you. Because that was also back when the Postal Service didn't charge nearly as much for international shipping. Boy, those are the days. So, yes, yeah, so a somewhat unusual import corner, but there we go. There it is. If anybody's willing to try to try out, if someone actually has tried out Shadowrun for the Mega CD, or is willing to try it out at your own expense, by all means, write in the comments of this podcast post. I'd like to kind of yeah, know or even send us or even send us a phone call for next time, and we'll definitely play it. That would be really awesome. But we're not going to get our hopes up because we know money is an issue. Sadly. I know we have some pretty hardcore listeners out there. That's There's true, some... but I'm not. That's why I said I'm not getting my hopes up, but I'm not extinguishing them either. Okay. With that uh, wrap up, we're going to take just a tiny little break, and we'll be back in just a few to go through the last lap. So today on the, the last lap, I, I definitely want to give a, a big thanks to everyone who, who wrote on the boards, and one of the questions I had put out there was I wanted to know what everyone thought about the music segments that I do in between. last On the last uh, RPG Backtrack, I used 60-second music clips to do the transitions rather than 30-second music clips. And it seemed like that some people liked it, and some people thought it was it was tad long. So... Um, so what I'm going to do on this one is put 45-second clips, which I think should <laughs> will hopefully appeal to those who like the longer music while keep it okay for the people who thought it was a tad too long. So Man, that's I hope where you can find them. I, I really don't remember the music from either Shadowrun. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> um... Yeah, I haven't done a search for that just yet, so... Uh, that's yeah, they, either of them has an OST, so you're going to have some work cut out for you. I do remember that the music in the Super Nintendo one wasn't bad. You can try that. The, the music in the dance hall was pretty good, actually. Yeah, I, I well, um, I definitely see some up there, so I should be able to come up with something. Um, but, you know, again, everyone's comments it really, really does help out. So let us know what you think. Tell us what you think about the this week. You know, let's talk about the various segments. Which segments do you like, you don't like? Would you like to see something added? Uh, right on the boards. Let us know. We'd love to hear your feedback. Um, last week or last time we had 
a contest question, and I don't believe anyone got that right, Mr. Minky. No, that's that's fine, though. I deliberately went obscure with my musical references for that, and I guess Spike Jones just isn't as well-known as I thought. Hmm. Must be um, family history. Do you have uh, do you have something uh, a, a question this week that you poured a lot of time thinking into, or can I pull something from my bag of tricks? Well, I've got a quick one. It it should do the job. Alrighty. In the Super Nintendo one, you can raise your armor rating to a certain number, and if you get a certain piece of cyberware that eventually becomes available, that number goes up. What is the maximum armor rating you can achieve in the Super Nintendo one? There you go. So that's our contest question. Get it right, and you will win yourself a $20 Amazon gift certificate. Write your answers to, what was it, Lost Odyssey, Grand Odyssey? Albert Odyssey. Albert Odyssey. At Hotmail? Mm-hmm. At Hotmail.com. And uh, Mike will take the first one that hits its box that is correct. So... It's important yes, I to be... would take the first one that is incorrect, but that would kind of undo the new, the usual rules of contest. <laughs> Seventeen, forty-two. Huh? Yeah, I'll just keep. Yeah. Well, we'll just. What if somebody? Hey, hey, Mike. What if? What if somebody just kind of sets up a like a a loop on their computer that sends out an email with every single number up to a million? You know, will that do the trick? That would make me very, very unhappy, and I would come after the person with a virtual sledgehammer to the skull. That's a that's a lot of uh, of junk mail you have to delete. <laughs> yeah, that would be a lot. So, um, and on our uh, our next show, we're going to be talking about this teeny tiny little RPG series called Fantasy Star, specifically referring to the Fantasy Star games before they went online. Fantasy Star 1 through 4 on the Sega Genesis. And we'll also be talking about something that's not nearly as old, but boy, I just... Whew, but boy, is its name really long. <clears throat> Let me try this. Mega Man Star Force 2 Zerker X Ninja for the DS. Wow. Yeah. You gonna yeah. Pay, are you gonna play through that? Well, unfortunately, that's uh, you know what I I don't have that one because I played some of the Mega Man Network games. I saw the mm-hmm. screen size of this one. It looks like another man Mega Man Network game to me. It's so different. yeah, I'll either be relying heavily on the expertise of the panel members, or I'll be reading our reviews because I'm not touching that with a ten foot pole. <sighs> is it different? Did you say it was different? Uh, you know, well, this is is completely tangent, but uh, battles in the Mega Man Network games were kind of like more of a top-down thing. Uh-huh. Uh, kind of a side top-down, if memory serves. Uh, right. In the uh, the DS versions, it's like a back view. Yeah, it was a back of, view. Mm-hmm. You're going into three-dimensional space. It's kind of something like that. It's basically the same thing. Slightly. Basically the same thing, different point. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. They can give it. Okay, so... <laughs> Ooh, just a reminder that we're always looking for uh, email, uh, comments, questions. You can also do audio recordings and send those to us, and we will play them on the show. If you have any questions, comments, or want to talk about, you know, want to share your thoughts about the Fantasy Star, maybe you have some great memories of those games and you want to tell the whole world about it. Well, 
Go ahead, grab your little headset, record it with Audacity, which is a free program, or any other recording program. Save that, uh, save it in an MP3 format and email it to me at jcservant at rpgamer.com, and we will make sure it gets on the show. Of course, we also would like for you to follow us at twitter.com forward slash rpgamer, or become our biggest fans at facebook.com forward slash rpgamer. Jonathan, I really appreciate having you on the show today. Is there anything you want to say to the audience before we uh, do our sign-off? Mm. Hi, everybody. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm full of wisdom. That's what well, I am. You're a very genteel fellow, Jonathan. We like that. Thank there you. He, there you go. And, of course, I always thank uh, my, my good uh, friend and co-host, Mr. Mike, for doing an outstanding job of helping to put this together. Um, to our audience, we thank you for listening to RPG Backtrack. As always, you are the reason we do this. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at rpgamer.com and help shape our future shows. As always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show RPG Cast at rpgamer.com. Mr. Mike, send us away. So the next time you wake up in a morgue because some corporation-sensitive data is missing and some orcs wanted to smash your face in after the hospital is taking your money, you're either in a major U.S. city or Seattle went down the tubes and the future is really dark. 